Hey, like Roy Jones said, I said, y'all must have forgot. Y'all must have forgot because of what happened last time. You thought, oh, he's so boring, blah, 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 blah. And I see you media people as well with your little clickbait headlines. But trust me, I had to make y'all remember and I had to remind the world why we the best. Hey guys, welcome to episode 10 of I Know Nothing About MMA. I'm your host, DC. Not that DC. We're back. Episode 10. How good's that? Not really episode 10. We've made a little more, but it's episode 10. We made it. That's a milestone, guys. Hey, look at that. Obviously, today we're going to be looking at UFC 253, Israel Adesanya. He does it again. This guy's too good. I'm telling you guys, this guy is far too good. Is he the best middleweight of all time? Why doesn't he receive the adulation he deserves? We'll talk about it. Also, Jan Blachowicz wins the UFC Light Heavyweight Championship. Polish power is real. It's real, guys. We're going to be looking at some other interesting things that happened on the card. The Hakeem Dawadu fight, the Brandon Roy Vow fight, and also I pose the question, it needs to be asked, why does the UFC continue to let Diego Sanchez fight? Also, boxing is back. We're going to be discussing the Charlo Twins doubleheader pay-per-view. Yes, twins. Two great world champions and they're twins. They're like a double-headed dragon. And just some housekeeping before we get onto the show. If you listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, make sure you give this podcast five stars. Please. I'm not going to keep saying it. I will keep saying it, actually. I'll keep saying it every time. Just do it, all right? All right. Let's get onto the show, guys. Episode 10. Let's do it. All right. Let's talk about the main event. Israel Adesanya versus Paolo Costa for the middleweight title. All I've got to say, ladies and gentlemen, is that Israel Adesanya is as good as we thought he was. He's as good as he told us he was. He made it look easy. Easy. It was an easy victory for the guy. Seriously. This fight had a lot of hype about it. Adesanya won in the second round via TKO, but really... After that first round, after beating up that lead leg of Costa, the fight was done. Costa didn't know what to do. But this fight was hyped a lot. Dana White said this is going to be the best fight of the year. And by the way, don't ever say that. Don't ever say that about a fight. Before a fight's even happened, that this is going to be the best fight of the year. You're only leading yourself down a path of disappointment. And it was definitely not the fight that a lot of people thought they would see 
especially from Costa. Adesanya did everything he was expected to do. He won emphatically. He won dominantly. He was dominant. He made Costa fight his fight. He made him go on the outside. And that was the crazy part to me, was that um, Costa was... I don't know if he was trying to conserve energy. I don't know if it was the puzzle of Adesanya. I'm I'm guessing it was the puzzle of Adesanya. But sometimes you've just got to bite down on that mouthpiece and fucking let have it. Let's go. And he just couldn't. He just couldn't. His lead leg was beaten up badly. And really, this was an easy, easy victory for Adesanya. And in my opinion... I think this fight was won even before they stepped onto the octagon. And no, I'm not talking about Paolo Costa's uh, weight cut. And that was, you know, honestly, if you looked at him on the scales, he looked like a gaunt figure. He looked horrible. He looked sickly on the scales. He looked really bad. But it was more, um, even as Israel Adesanya was saying after the fight, it was the energies of the two. Um, Paolo Costa was not bringing that, um, the energy of a bull, you know, this, uh, guy who wants to kill Adesanya, he was trying to toy with him and play with him, and, um, that's not really gonna work with Adesanya, and especially when they met in the hotel room, uh, in the hotel lobby, rather, and they shook hands, and, um, you know, and they were quite cordial to each other, you know, when Israel Adesanya offers your hand, um, you slap it away, dude. You say, we'll leave that till after the fight, all right? Because right now I want to kill you. You know, and I know these guys are making money and, you know, they're trying to promote a fight. And As uh, Nick Diaz says, you know, it's all a bunch of wolf tickets. But really, save that energy till after the fight. And that's what I really think um, let Costa down was he never went into Adesanya's head. Adesanya was always an incredibly confident person coming into the fight. I, I was surprised that a lot of people thought that um, Paolo Costa was getting into Izzy's head. Not a chance. This guy looked super cool all weekend. And not only did he look super cool, but he looked super good as well. I mean, he didn't... Obviously, this isn't a huge weight cut for him. This is not a weight cut for him. This is pretty much he's fighting at his natural weight. I'm, I'm assuming he has to cut a little bit of weight, but nothing that what um, Paolo Costa had to cut and really that must have been a huge weight cut for Paolo Costa I don't know how he gets down to 185 and like Izzy said in the fight he really didn't look too big he didn't really hydrate to a point where he looked massive and he looked like he was gonna cause you know Adesanya some strength problems he looked kind of weak in the fight actually but yeah that weight cut man I'm telling you that weight cut for Paolo Costa is horrible that is a horrible weight cut. If you look at a photo of him when he weighed in, um, his cheeks are all sucked in and he's like so dehydrated. And, you know, weight cutting is a, you know, it's an interesting thing. It can either give you a competitive advantage because of how big and strong you are, if you can hydrate correctly back, or it's a huge um, disadvantage to you, you know, because you are weakening yourself to the point where maybe you can't recover in 24 hours you're weakening your body and you know you're taking blood out of your brain and um it's much easier to get concussed you it's more um there's a lot of problems with weight cutting is there a solution to weight cutting i mean the california state athletic commission they've implemented some safeguards towards um weight cutting 
I think it has to do with the uh, hydration at the the next day. You can't fight over a certain uh, limit. So just say you weigh in at 205, um, you can't weigh in at over 220 or something like this. I could be wrong. I, th- I think that's right though. But yeah, this would have been a really bad weight cut for Paolo Costa. And I don't even think that um, middleweight is his best weight. I really think if, if he steps up to light heavyweight, he'll have a much, uh, you know, obviously he had a great run at middleweight, but I think he would just be a lot better, a lot healthier at uh, light heavyweight as well. But listen, that's not to uh, poo-poo all over this Adesanya victory. This guy is a monster. I don't think anyone's going to beat Adesanya at middleweight. I don't think there's anyone. Not a person. There's not a person in that uh, fraudulent rankings, in the UFC rankings, that I look at and see, yeah, he could give him a fight. There's no one. And after the fight, he was calling for Jared Cannonier for his next opponent, which, hey, that's good. Jared Cannonier has been kind of overlooked He's not a huge name, but, you know, this kind of gives him a little bit of a credence and gives him a little boost that the middleweight champion is asking for him, is looking for him. Yeah, that could be on the cards next for Israel Adesanya. However, Jared Cannonier has a tough fight ahead of him against Robert Whitaker. That is a tough, tough fight. Who am I leaning towards in that fight? I don't know. It's, it's going to be a tough fight. It's going to be a hard fight for both of these guys. Maybe give the edge to Jared Cannonier, but I don't know. You, how can you count Robert Whittaker out? But yeah, I think Adesanya is going to hold on to that middleweight strap for a long, long time. And hey, he might even, you know, a lot of people saying he's the second best uh, middleweight uh, champion of all time, obviously behind Anderson Silva. But I think if you put those guys in the same ring, a prime versus prime Adesanya, yes, we have seen it before, but that was kind of like a glorified sparring match. But if we put those two guys in their prime together, I think I would I would favor Israel Adesanya. And I know this is the old uh, Batman versus Spider-Man. You know, we can't tell this. It's a, it's just a fantasy talk. But, you know, I'm going to say right now, on record, that Israel Adesanya is the greatest middleweight in UFC history. And that's crazy. But he really is. What Did you see what he did to Costa? And I know people are going to say, well, what about that fight against Romero? You know, Romero didn't come to fight. As much as I love Romero, and I was so hyped for that fight, but Romero didn't come to fight. When you fight a man like Adesanya, the onus is on you to press the uh, to press the action because we know how Adesanya fights. You know, he's going to rush you. He's going to pick you apart, stay on the outside. He's got a lot of tools in the toolbox for that. It was a very close fight, though, that Romero-Adesanya fight. But what shows why he's such a great champion as well is that he was willing to fight uh, Romero at his first uh, title defense. And that's a guy that not a lot of people want to fight, you know, including Michael Bisping. Remember that? Michael Bisping kind of refused to fight that guy, you know. Shout out to Michael Bisping, you know. I think we mentioned that on the podcast as well before, that uh, Michael Bisping, you are Romero thing. But it's true. Michael Bisping, okay, so we talked, we just spoke about, so we're going off traffic here, but we just spoke about the uh, the best middleweight of all time, in my opinion, is Radasanya, and the worst middleweight champion of all time was easily Michael Bisping. Easily Michael Bisping, okay? This guy fought a fucking 50-year-old Dan Henderson, went life and death with him. He chinned Luke Rockhold, fair enough, that's a great victory. And then he loses to... George St. Pierre, a welterweight. A welterweight, man. You think you think George St. Pierre would have a chance against Israel Adesanya? No chance. No way, dude. No way. Don't don't even go there with me. 
But why Adesanya back on back on topic? I said back on traffic, back on topic. Why we're getting back on topic now? Okay, so why Adesanya doesn't have the adulation that I'm giving him to a lot of the fans is that he doesn't go through adversity much. Yes, we saw it in the Kelvin Gastelum fight. He went through extraordinary um, adversity in that fight. That's that's one fight. But throughout his UFC career, he hasn't went through a lot of adversity and he's kind of been winning his fights very easily. And when you're winning your fights very easily, it's a little hard, unless you're an Adesanya fan, it's a little hard for the public to really get behind you because, you know, there isn't this, uh, you know, he gets knocked down and he comes back up and he fights and he, you know, there's not really about that. You know, he doesn't have the, um, he doesn't outwardly show the intangible qualities what makes a, a quote-unquote blue-collar fighter, this heart, this grit, this determination. And by the way, guys, he has this in tenfold. He has this in spades. Adesanya is full of heart. However, when you watch him fight, you might think, well, this guy's uh, quote-unquote running. This guy is, um, he's quote-unquote scared. But no, he's just um, fighting a totally different fight. He's still fighting. He still smashed Costa. He still smashed Robert Whittaker, and let's have it, dude. He smashed these guys. Yes, he didn't smash Romero, but Romero didn't want to be smashed. If Romero came in like Hostel was coming, he'd get smashed. Trust me. Trust me on that. That's a really interesting thing for me about Israel Asanya is that not a lot of people um, really um, love this guy that much. You know, from what I see, a lot of people obviously were going for Costa in this fight. They really wanted Costa to win. And Costa's great. Costa's good fun, right? He's fun. But it was more so, in my opinion, that people wanted to see Adesanya lose rather than they wanted to see Paulo Costa win. They wanted to shut this guy up because he is not a quote-unquote blue-collar fighter. He doesn't have the wars that uh, Paulo Costa has, especially the one with uh, Romero. Yeah, so if you look at those two fights, Romero-Costa... Adesanya Romero, they're two totally different fights. One is an absolute banger, a war. And the other fight, the Adesanya Romero fight, was a tactical chess battle, not the funnest fight. Albeit when I watched it, I thought it was a very tense fight. I thought, wow, this is quite a an interesting fight we're watching here. But not a lot of fans liked that performance, you know. Admittedly, you know, it wasn't the greatest performance of his career, but hey, in my opinion, one man didn't come to fight. But they're the difference between the two fighters, is that one guy will come and bring the fight to you. He's a blue-collar fighter. He will, uh, you know, he likes to swing and bang. And 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 that's the thing as well. In boxing, apart from Muhammad Ali, um, the most popular um, figures in boxing are usually punchers. Are usually people who, like, you know, Mike Tyson, who are these, uh, they're not boxers. He's not trying to dance around you for 12 rounds and score a wide unanimous decision. No, he wants to knock you out. And that resonates with the public. Because, you know, everyone loves to see a good knockout. And everyone loves to see a guy, quote-unquote, fight instead of boxing or, you know, being a mixed martial artist. And listen, these guys are all fighters, but they fight in different ways. God, we got off topic here. But hey, that's what this show's all about, you know? Unfiltered. So where does uh, Paolo Costa go next? He said he wants a, a rematch with... Israel Adesanya, that will not happen, especially after the beating he took, and he took a beating. 
you know, it might not look like, it looks like he just kind of got um, froze out of the fight, but uh, no, he took a battering in that fight. He's, Adesanya, he's, he's a lot stronger than I think people think as well. I think they, I think they think he's a little too skinny and stuff like that, but no, he, he fills into his weight really well, and he didn't look um, too skinny up against um, Paolo Costa. Yeah, again, Paolo Costa didn't really look that big. Um, coming into the fight, and I don't know if it was complication during the hydration process, yada, 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 yada. He did mention something like that. Pella Costa said something happened before the fight. Um, I'm going to say he's talking about his weight cut, and listen, to give him credit, that's a horrible weight cut. And, you know, and if, again, if, if this is such a bad weight cut for people, move up. You don't have to fight it this way. Pella Costa only fights at middleweight because there is a competitive advantage. That's the only reason he fights it this way, a competitive advantage, and that competitive advantage was sorely lacking. He did not look that big, and he does not deserve a rematch. In my opinion, he needs to move up, move up to light heavyweight. I think we're going to see an even better cost when he moves up to light heavyweight. I think he's been torturing his body to get to 185, absolutely torturing his body. And yeah, do I see him ever beating Israel Adesanya? No chance. But he would make a great addition to the light heavyweight picture. I really believe so. But anyway, Israel Adesanya wins. He defends his belt for the second time. He is such a great fighter, guys. He, we're looking at someone special here. Trust me, we're looking at a, a real special fighter. And, you know, I, I think this guy's going to hold the belt until... Maybe until he gets Weidman, who knows? But it's going to be an Anderson Silva type run, this one is. Because this guy, like Anderson Silva, is a very special striker. And what makes Israel Asani a very special fighter as well is that a lot of his opponents, basically all his opponents, they react to him. They always want to react to him. He's always the proactive fighter in the fight. He always... Um, controls the distance he's always fighting his own fight he's you know maybe in the kelvin gastelum fight you could say that um kelvin was imposing his will imposing his will on adesanya but even in that fight um adesanya in the fifth round got to him he got to him and nearly you know nearly knocked him out badly but hey adesanya what a champion that's all i can say too easy too easy he's too good wow i mean you look at Paula Costa, you think, oh, he's got to go in with these dangerous strikes. And I know you're mad. Israel. Cut to the camera. I know you're mad. But, hey, Auckland, Wanganui, Rota Vegas, Lagos City, Mr. Alagidi, Eminelei, eh? And why I mean, nothing carry last. All right, and let's talk about the co-main event of this card. This was Jan Blackhowish. Man, I, I was calling him Blackowish before. Splahowish or something. Go, you know, shout out to Mike Goldberg. We're doing it again. We just mispronounced these guys' names. Yes, but Jan Blahowish was fighting Dominic Reyes for the light heavyweight title. And Jan Blahowish, I'm just going to call him Jan, he won by knockout. Well, technical knockout, but hey, you know, he made the guy do chicken legs and he was done, right? He was done. If you remember that fight. Um, this is on the record too, by the way. Go, You can check this on a, <laughs> an early episode. But, you know, I was saying that, hey, Dominic Reyes, he's talking a lot of crap. This guy's talking a lot of crap. And he better win. 
you know, when you talk this kind of crap, when you say stuff like, uh, John Jones is scared of me, that's why he's moving up. And, um, almost overlooking, uh, Jan as an opponent, then you kind of have to win. You kind of have to win and you have to win big. And what I'm going to say about that is, yes, that's on the record that I said this, but I actually, during fight week, changed my opinion and thought that Dominic Reyes was going to win this fight. I thought, come on, you can't be talking all this smack, you know, being so uh, arrogant, basically, about his uh, chances and not win, you know, because when you speak like that, you must win. And no, he did not win. He got his nose broken. He got his uh, ribs, you know, God, that would have been sore. You remember the mark he got? Yeah, he got a horrible uh, mark on the ribs. And he was beaten badly. And what Dominic Reyes was saying before this fight was that the power of Jan Blachowicz, um is no big deal. This legendary Polish power that he has, it's, uh, it means nothing. This guy, you know, he's not as good as you guys think he is, kind of thing. Come on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk through this guy. And that was the difference in this fight, was Jan's power. Jan, um, you know, as I said, he broke the guy's nose. And he was overlooking this guy a lot. He really was. He was overlooking this guy's power. He said, hey, you know, this is a light heavyweight division. We all have power. And he, Dominic Reyes has got a great uh, left hand, but he couldn't find it. And because... Jan Blachowicz is a better kickboxer than him. It was kind of Dominic Reyes' limited kickboxing skills that kind of lost him this fight, in my opinion. You know, hey, I'm, I'm, not, a, uh, I'm not a kickboxing expert, but that's what it looked like to me. He was um, getting beaten to every punch. Jan Blachowicz was landing uh, better combinations, and he landed this combination where he'd leave with a body kick, you know, that body kick that destroyed Reyes' ribs. And... That really was the proving uh, factor in this fight, was the the power of Jan. I mean, that was the deciding factor. And he blitzed Dominic Reyes. First round was so, so even. It was okay. It was an, Jan definitely won the round, but he wasn't like he was struggling. And then the power of his Jan shots just kind of took the fight away from Reyes. And he was kind of left wondering what if, what could have been, you know. And another interesting thing about this fight is that Dominic Reyes actually left his coach. I didn't know this. He left his coach after the uh, John Jones defeat and went into, went rather to train uh, with his brothers. That's bizarre to me. I don't understand why he'd do that. I mean, his, his brother was a former UFC fighter. But why would you do that? You fought excellently. You know, it's like it wasn't the coach's problem that you lost that fight against John Jones. It was a very close fight. I mean, you brought John Jones to a close fight. That's, you know, it's almost winning against John Jones. You know, you, <laughs> it's like, the, you know, not a lot of people lose against John Jones like that. So, but anyway, you know, and I thought it'd be an easy fight for Dominic Reyes. I got this wrong. In the week of, on, on record, I didn't get this wrong, but I have to be honest with you guys. Off the record, when I was thinking about this fight, um, I definitely got this fight wrong. And Blackowicz, um, yeah, I wish him all the best. And what this loss for Dominic Reyes means to me as well is that, yes, Jan could prove me wrong and he could defend his belt five, six, seven times. But what I think will happen with this division now is there's going to be a lot of um, hot potatoing going around. I don't think there's going to be um, long-lasting champions in this division until 
um, someone special steps up. Maybe even Israel Adesanya. He moves up in weight. I don't know. But yeah, I, I, I don't see a guy who's ahead of the pack so much that they're just going to blitz this, this uh, division. They're going to walk through everyone. It's going to be kind of like a hot potato. People are going to be uh, passing that belt around. You know, it's going to be... Uh, <laughs> It's, it's going to be like that, I think. I really do. But yes, Jan gets uh, the win. Polish power reigns supreme. Very cool. During fight week, I was the worst detective in the world. Shout to Steve Bunce. I was a really bad detective. I thought this, uh, this Dominic Reyes thing was him just being totally assured and totally, uh, you know, you know, when you talk that shit, you gotta, you got to back it up, man. If you don't back it up after talking like that, you, you, you know... It's it's not a good look, and it definitely was not a good look for Dominic Reyes, and he lost uh, maybe the f- you know the few fans he had. But anyway, Jan wins. He's the new light heavyweight champion. Congratulations to Jan Blahowish. Hope I said that name right. Also on this card, representing Auckland City kickboxing, was Kai Kara France versus Brandon Raw Dog. Roy Vow, what a nickname, Raw Dog. Sure, Bruce Buffer cringes when he has to when he has to say that nickname. But this was a cracker of a fight. This was basically a, a one round war. I mean, it closed pretty quickly in the second round when Brandon Roy Vow cinched up a beautiful guillotine and forced Kai Kara France to tap. But this first round was absolutely bonkers. Brandon Roy Vow brought the fight to Kai Kara France, and I don't think Kai Kara France was expecting it to be such a hard night out. Hey, maybe he was. That's probably wrong to say, right? I don't know Kai Kara France. I wasn't speaking to him. I don't know how he was taking this fight. But Brandon Roy Vow just looked like such a complete fighter in there, and this is only his second UFC fight. He was hitting Kai Kara France with knees. Spinning elbow, a spinning back fist, and just really pressuring the guy and putting the guy on the back foot. And Kai Kara France is no slouch. He is no bum. But Brandon Royval, raw dog, made it look super, I don't want to say easy. I mean, but listen, he kind of walked through the guy. He walked through the guy and listen, Kai Kara France walked into a really great fighter and a great fighter who's only on his second UFC fight and in two UFC fights he's beaten Tim Elliott a great UFC flyweight a fantastic flyweight and now Kai Kara France another great flyweight and not just another great flyweight but another great flyweight who's coming out of one of the best gyms in MMA at the moment and he has all this energy and, you know, he's he's with the champ, Israel Asanya. You know, he's with Eugene Bamman, one of the best trainers in the world. You know, he's a well-coached guy, and he's got a lot of good energy around him. So that makes this guy a hard guy to beat, you know what I mean? But Roy Vow just kind of walked all over the guy. 
and Roy Vow trains out of Factory X, Mark Montoya's gym in Colorado. And hey, that'll do wonders for your cardio, you know, training at altitude in Colorado. But hey, let's give it up to Brandon Roy Vow. If you guys have not watched this fight, this Brandon Roy Vow versus Kaikara France fight, I highly recommend watching this fight, especially the first round. Second round was kind of quick. It ended in maybe the first 20 or so seconds. But that first round, man, oh my God. Fight of the night easily. And I'm sorry for saying fight of the night because, you know, I hate bonuses. And But this guy is someone to look out for, Brandon Royval, because he is such a great uh, flyway. And I already want to see him at the kind of the upper echelon of this division. Obviously, we have Figueredo versus Cody Garbrand for the flyweight title. But I really want to see Brandon Royval kind of make a name for himself, step in that division a little more, take some really good fights like Brandon Moreno or something like that, and stamp himself in this division and also get a title shot. I think he's a great, great fighter. So let's give it up for Brandon Royval. Also, my star of the week, Brandon Royval. What a fighter. What a fighter. Fighting out of Inglewood, Colorado, USA, presenting the number nine ranked flyweight contender in the world, Brandon Rod Dog Royval. And opening up this pay per view card was Hakeem Dawadu versus Takugov. I'm not even going to say the guy's first name. This is a Russian fighter. Takugov, Doadu is a Canadian, Nigerian, Jamaican fighter, as he told us in the post-fight interview. And this was another fun fight. This was a good fight, a hard fight. I actually think the judge just got it wrong. I think they got it wrong this time. I thought Takugov won the first two rounds, but hey, it was a close fight. It was a close fight, guys. Come on, no one's screaming a robbery over here. Takugov is going to be back in the UFC. I think the first rounds, look, they were close rounds, first two rounds, but I think Tohugov kind of imposed himself a bit more, was landing some better strikes than Duadu. Duadu, and this is the interesting thing about this fight as well. Let me just adjust my chair. If you looked at the post-fight statistics, if you looked at the fight statistics for um, this Duadu versus Tohugov fight, you would think, well, Duadu wins this fight easily because he's outstruck Takugov 2-1. to one. And he did. He did. I think he landed something like... <coughs> excuse me. He landed something like 70 strikes or something like that to Takugov's uh, 35 or something like that. You know, 2-1. to one. But these statistics sometimes, they lie. These statistics are not perfect data. Yes, Duadu outstruck Takugov. But you have to think about the impact of these strikes. How effective were these strikes? Did these strikes, and especially the leg kicks, in the first two rounds as well, did they do enough to stop the momentum of Tukugov? To stop him from walking in to Duadu and wanting a fight? Absolutely not, in my opinion. Absolutely not. These were not the most effective leg kicks you're going to see. And that's how he gained a lot of these strikes that's how a lot of these strikes were counted basically on the leg kicks and these were not Abasanya versus costa leg kicks 
where you could see it was a noticeable impact, even from the first round, these were um, these were not of any consequence, really, when you think about how Tokugov took those first two rounds and really took the fight to Duadu. In the third round, however, kind of a different story. Duadu took over. He was wanting to, you know, he was the one pressing the action. And the judges liked that and gave him the decision. I'm not going to cry to spilt milk. Duadu wins. It doesn't really matter. And I also like Duadu's post-fight interview. And by the way, I haven't mentioned this yet, but this was the first time in the UFC for quite a while that they had done fight interviews in the cage, similar to how they used to do it, you know, bringing a bit of normality back to proceeding. And I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's fine to... It's fine, but I mean, come on, guys. Let's let's uh, keep up appearances here and let's do things the proper way. That, that wasn't exactly proper, and I hope they don't do that um, going forward, really. Um, because, yeah, really, it's not very proper to do that. And a lot of these other shows, whether it be in MMA or boxing, have really taken uh, safety precautions really to the next level. Even when they do their interviews, they're quite far away from each other. They're in different rooms, similar to how the UFC did it last week. And they've kind of just switched it up. I don't know why. I don't know if it's because they're in Abu Dhabi and um, maybe they can get away with it there. I don't know. I don't know. However, that Hakeem Duadu interview was very, very good. Duadu spoke about the racism in America and he didn't name Colby Covington. However, he kind of implied Colby Covington with his post-fight speech. And yeah, we'll just take a listen to it. I think it's a quite a good speech. Anyways, uh, this is one of the first fights I felt like I was fighting for something bigger than myself. All my black people, all my African people, everybody that's getting oppressed. They're trying to make fun of us. They're trying to bring us down. I refuse to kneel. We've been kneeling for too long. Canada, get behind me. They only allowed me to bring one flag, so I'm sorry for the, not bringing the Jamaican and the Canadian flag, but you know what I represent. Everybody back in the, in the 403, my family, my friends, I promise the next fight, give me somebody who ain't gonna run. This is five straight now. I need a top 10, and give me someone who ain't gonna run no more. Okay, and this is the only prelim fight on the card I'm gonna discuss. Sorry to Shane Young, sorry to Brad Riddell. All these people, my apologies, but really the big story coming out of the prelims again was Diego Sanchez and whether or not he should continue to fight. I don't think he should continue to fight. He fought Jake Matthews, a tough Australian guy, hey, another Aussie. Jake Matthews, listen, I don't think he's ever going to be world champion, but he's a big, strong welterweight and he's a dominant welterweight and I'll be honest with you, Jake Matthews in this fight kind of disappointed me. I wanted him, and this sounds fucked up, and this sounds like, how could you say that? But I wanted him to kind of beat uh, the spirit out of Diego Sanchez, really smash him, and on the, in the post-fight interview, say, dude, retire. You know, beg this guy to retire. You know, and listen, he might retire if he did that. But in the first two rounds, Jake Matthews, I don't know if he didn't want to hurt the guy. I don't know if he was uh, just trying to play it super safe or something like that but yeah he wasn't really pressing the action as much as 
I thought he would. And he's kind of given Diego Sanchez again a lifeline to say, hey, listen, I didn't get finished. I should still fight. And this guy should not absolutely fight. Have you seen this guy's fucking corner? Josh Fabia and Steph, uh, Stefan Bonner. And yeah, Stefan Bonner is uh, a legend in the UFC, some would say. He was a part of that great fight with Forrest Griffin. But that is not a corner, man. That's not a corner. Josh Fabia is not a corner. And for, and I'm not just going to talk about this pay-per-view in particular, but when he's fought in prior fights, on prior cards rather... Why hasn't the commission stepped in and said, this guy is not a fucking trainer? How, why, are we, why are we commissioning this fight? How, how can we put this fight on? Because this guy isn't even a trainer. It boggles my mind. In leaked DMs this week, and we're going to talk about this on Monday, next Monday, but on leaked DMs, Conor McGregor said he would love to fight Diego Sanchez, and he leaked these DMs out. There was a whole horrible thing about it, rah, 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 everyone, you know, boys are crying about it. But Dana White, in response to Conor McGregor wanting this Diego Sanchez fight, said, if we put that fight on, we should lose our promoter's license. And to that I say, putting Diego Sanchez in any fucking fight, you should lose your promoter's license, because this guy is clearly mentally unwell. In the third round, I was kind of hoping it happened in the first round, but in the third round, he got battered. He got battered, bloody, beaten. It's not fair. It's not fair to Diego Sanchez to let him keep doing this. And he takes really hard fights as well. Jake Matthews, Mikel Pereira, Michael Chiesa. These are, t- these are tough guys, man. These are tough, tough guys. And yes, he did, quote-unquote, win the Michael Pereira fight, the Mikel Pereira fight, rather. But... What, was that really a win? Are you going to call that a really a win? Really? Because it was an illegal knee and he 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 decided not to continue, guys. He asked the referee, if I don't continue, do I win? And he said, I'm not continuing. That's not a win, dude. It's not a fucking win. This guy should totally retire. The UFC should be ashamed of themselves for sanctioning these fights for putting him in fights and not just that putting him in really 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 hard fights Diego Sanchez has been a fighter for a very long time since 2002 18 years 18 long years and he isn't a like a John Fitch fighter where he's gonna lay and pray and not take much damage all night no he takes a lot of damage he takes a lot of damage and he gets hit in the head a lot and yes he is a quote-unquote quirky eccentric guy and he has all these funny weird things about him but these eccentricities these quirky um things about some people they mask more serious problems about people you know and there's another guy similar to this mike perry mike perry is another one who instead of having a legitimate corner going to a legitimate gym he chose to be cornered by his girlfriend how crazy is that? How can you com- how can you sanction that? You have to say no, 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 no. You have not respected this sport enough to go to a legitimate gym and train. This isn't fucking Kimbo Slice backyard, man. This is a fucking competition. This is an athletic competition. If Diego Sanchez needs to stop fighting and he needs 
help. He needs help before something seriously bad happens. I'm not going to say it's going to happen in the octagon, but give it a few years and we're going to be hearing some Diego Sanchez stories, especially when he retires. We're going to be hearing some Diego Sanchez stories that is going to disappoint you. It's going to upset you. It's going to make you feel sorry for the guy. It's going to, it's going to make you feel all types of pity for the guy. But this can all be avoided if you tell him, we're not going to let you fight anymore. However, we're going to compensate you for all the fucking years that you had your head bashed in for this company. We're going to do things for you. And I feel really sorry for Diego Sanchez that he's in a position where he's with a con man like Joshua Fabia, who is not a professional. He's not a corner man. He's not anything. He's not anything. So I feel really bad for him to get sucked into that. You know, he seemed like he was in a vulnerable state as well when Joshua Fabia picked up the phone and said, hey, have a mean you, you know, let's do it. You know, he divorced his wife. He left his longtime gym, Jackson and Wink, in Albuquerque. Just very sad. And I think some bad things going to happen. I, I, I really do. I really think this is going to end in tears for the nightmare, Diego Sanchez. And I wish him all the best. I never want to see him fight again. This is the last time we ever discussed Diego Sanchez on this podcast, because really, this is just a plea for him to stop fighting. Stop fighting, man. And this is a plea for the UFC to stop putting him in fights, because this guy doesn't need to be in fights. It's over, man. It's over. What a downer, huh? What an absolute downer. At least we're going to be talking about the boxing next, eh? Hey? God, boxing's good, man. If you guys aren't watching boxing, you're, you are si- severely missing out, man. You are severely missing out. Oh, okay. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Okay, let's talk boxing. There was a good boxing show on this weekend. There was the Showtime pay-per-view, a doubleheader pay-per-view featuring the Charlo twins. Yes, Jamal and Jamel Charlo. For those of you who don't know, Jamal Charlo is the older twin of the two. He's the defending WBC middleweight champion. And he defended it against Sergei, Sergei rather, Derevyachenko. And Jamel is the younger of the two. And after defeating Rosario, he retained his WBC light middleweight title and also captured the WBA, IBF, and Ring Magazine Championship. And the Ring Magazine Championship is quite a big deal because that denotes pretty much the lineal champion, the man of that division. So Jamel Charlo, the younger twin, is the man of the light middleweight division. And the big talk about this pay-per-view the really interesting thing about this pay-per-view is that i for one have never seen two twins especially as good as jamal and jamel headline a boxing pay-per-view it's just never happened before it's never ever happened before so this was a really interesting pay-per-view to watch just from an outsider's perspective how is it gonna do because i think this is the best way to market the Charlo twins is to actually put them on the same card and kind of do these weird double-headed pay-per-views. So in the pay-per-view, the first half of the pay-per-view before the intermission was the 
Jamal Charlo section of the card, the WBC middleweight champion, the older twin. That was his section of the card. Then they had an intermission, and uh, Luke Thomas and Brian Campbell were on the intermission. They were doing some uh, their morning combat thing. They might have been, I don't know. I, I didn't watch it, but they were. They looked really silly, and a lot of boxing people hated it. So that was uh, not good for Luke Thomas and Brian Campbell. Not the best start to their uh, Showtime career. Very strange they did that. I mean, I understand Brian Campbell because he's done the uh, PBC face-offs. He's done the uh, he's he's been around and within boxing. But Luke Thomas is an MMA guy. I mean, I think that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. I don't think in boxing he's gonna get the respect maybe he craves because he's not a boxing guy. He's an MMA guy. So it's going to be hard for him. It's going to be a long, tough road for Luke Thomas. So then after that, after the intermission, they had the Jamel Charlo portion of the card. And this was the highest stakes fight on the card. Probably wasn't the most um, anticipated fight on the card because Derevyachenko, who Jamal fought, he had a great fight against Gennady Golovkin, often thought of as one of the best pound-for-pound boxers in the sport. Derevyachenko took him to the edge. And what's weird about Derevyachenko as well is that Derevyachenko has now fought on the same weekend as Israel Adesanya on two occasions when Israel fought Robert Whittaker at UFC 243 and now when he's fighting Paolo Costa at UFC 253. But what I really want to talk about, forget about the fights. Jamal Charlo won. He defeated Derevyanchenko in a tough, unanimous decision victory. Jamal Charlo is a great boxer. And Derevyanchenko is a great boxer as well. He is a fantastic boxer. And Jamal Charlo, he won convincingly. And Jamal Charlo, the younger brother, the younger twin, he knocked out Rosario, the WBA and IBF champion, and knocked him out kind of brutally. It was a, a jab to the stomach that kind of folded Rosario. And it looked bad. It looked really bad. So um, I hope Rosario is okay. But anyway, the interesting thing about this pay-per-view is the pay-per-view was 75 US dollars. So I haven't got a, a converter in front of me. I don't know how much that is in Australia. I'm going to guess that's around the $100 mark. $100 for a pay-per-view. Yes, it was a double-header pay-per-view. And yes, the undercard was good. It was a good undercard. But $75 US is a lot of money. It is a lot of money. Especially to be paying for um, just a show that you're not going to attend. $100 is pretty much in Australia, like, you probably pay that to go see a fight live. I know that's not the case in America. And obviously, it's definitely not the case now, but... $75, that's the price range that these pay-per-views have been at for quite a while. And that's a really steep price, in my opinion. That is crazy. Over here, of course, in Australia, they actually showed it for quote-unquote free. You have to get it behind a paywall if you were a subscriber of KO, which is a streaming service similar to Design. But, you know, after you've paid your subscription fee, it's free. It's You don't have to pay an on top fee to get this pay-per-view but that is a lot of money to be spending on a pay-per-view so what will be really interesting about this pay-per-view is how successful it's going to be is this going to be a successful pay-per-view i'm not sure i don't know how many buys this pay-per-view is going to do it didn't seem like the marketing was up to scratch 
didn't seem like there was a lot of noise around this event, and there should have been, because these were two great fights, and not only two great fights, but a really interesting way to market a pay-per-view in the sense that, forget about having one main event, you've got two legitimate main events, and they're twins. So I think this is going to be the way forward for the Charlo twins when doing these pay-per-views, when doing these shows, is to have a double-header pay-per-view, kind of like a double-headed dragon, because that's what the Charlo twins are. They're double-headed dragons. And I've got to say about the KO presentation of this card, the international presentation of this card, usually on the Showtime's card, you'll have um, Mauro Ronaldo. He's the North American commentator. Mauro Ronaldo, obviously, you know, from Pride, NXT, Strike Force. He's also the Showtime boxing commentator, and he has a commentator team. I'm not sure who was with him. Today might have been Paul and Malinagi. Might have been all these people. But on the international feed, we had a separate commentator. I know his nickname's The Colonel. Very good commentator, by the way. No, nothing against The Colonel. Forget his last name. Nothing against The Colonel. However, I could hear both commentary teams. You know how annoying that is? I'll, I'll splice in some audio so you understand what I'm saying. But The Colonel was doing his thing. And The Colonel, by the way, is like a Joey Styles type of commentator he's the uh it's, he's a one-man crew basically he, he, he brought out a second guy for the the main event fight but for, for the prelim fights basically for the undercard portion of the show he was by himself he was a sole commentator in the spirit of ecw's joey styles and he was great he's, he's a great commentator and hey he does the color he does the play-by-play -play. he's great he's great but what's really annoying is I'm trying to listen to the Colonel and I can hear Mauro Ronaldo, who is a fantastic commentator as well. But when you don't want to listen to Mauro Ronaldo, he is horrible. He is horrible to listen to because he's so loud. He's kind of obnoxious. And, you know, it works when you want to listen to him when he's the pay-per-view commentator. You know, when he's the actual commentator of the show, he's great. But... You know, they need to fix that out in future, is um, having two conflicting commentary teams. And I think it was because the feed for the international, the international feed was picking up Mauro Ronaldo. And, oh, it was just awful. It was just my, you know, they got to fix that. It really made the show not as fun to watch. A minute 50 remaining here in this seventh round. <laughs> Vasquez staying in the pocket, pushes down the head of Figueroa. A left hook to the body by Figueroa, but back comes Vasquez with a straight left of his own. But back to the Charlo twins. We're going to play, um, I think it was Jamal, we're going to play a little clip um, from an interview he did with boxing writer, journalist, Dizone Muppet. Chris Mannix. And this is one of the best things I've heard all year. This is probably the best fighter interview of the year. So let's just play it. It's so good. Do you think that Canelo's there for you? Golovkin's there for you? The fights that you you've called out box. for? You must know box. <laughs> all right, do. then what you think? What the, yeah, they there for me. All I got to do is fight. I got to continue to fight, win, and I'll be the best I can be. I don't know what you asking me. What you want me to say? No, they're not there for me. What you want me to give you? They there for me. Dub, you know boxing. You know it. If you don't, you're going to ask questions like this. No, I think you're a great fighter. And I, I know like, that. I know that already. I'm, I'm, but I'm telling you, I think you are. With 22 knockouts, but I don't want to fight this. I, man, what, do, what don't you know about me?
What do you want to give out to your fans? This interview is for you, not me. What do you want to give out to your fans? Tell your fans to watch my fight September 26th on Showtime pay-per-view. Order it. I cared about what they thought about me. I don't know where you've been. You asking me questions that, that's irrelevant to what I got going on in front of me. Me and my twin brother are great. We in great spirits. We see each other every day. Uh, we eating great. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I don't know if you work for the zone or you work who you work for, but you asking me some bullshit and I'm about to get off this interview. No, I'm, I'm, I think you're a great fighter. I've been to many All of right, your... So ask me questions about me being a great fighter if you want to continue to talk to me because that's what... you're, talking about, you're talking about the zone offering me money. You're talking about some shit you don't even know. You, you don't even got real proof. You're just saying what you hear on the internet. Well, ask me about me and you're going to get the information that I'm going to give you. I'm asking. That's why I was getting through that question. I was, I was asking if you, at 30 years old, do you feel like you're, you're on that old, path? I feel good. I'm the best. Have you ever been 30 before? I feel good. I'm 30 years old. I'm great. And that's episode 10. Episode 10. We did it, guys. We're getting somewhere. I'm telling you. We're getting somewhere. Anyways, I won't waffle on. This won't be a long outro. Thank you so much for listening again. I hope you have a great day, great morning, great night, whenever you listen to this. Have a good one, guys. Bye-bye.